everybody. Welcome to Utterly Astounded, where eschatology meets current events meets real life. At least my regular real life at home here in Southern California. So on today's episode, I'm going to talk about declining birth rates across the world. It is a hot topic, but it doesn't actually get that much coverage. Unlike climate change, there's not any worldwide conferences on the subject or billions of dollars being poured into it. But it's kind of hilarious in a weird sort of way because the outcome may be that all these people are running around trying to save the planet while the birth rate is plummeting. So you don't even need the planet anymore. Why do you need the earth if nobody's left to live on it? So just another example these days of everything being inverted and upside down. So what are the reasons behind this? Well, there are a couple. You have the LGBT issue. You have statistics that we're going to look at. You've got women in the workforce and you have abortion. And so I think that's kind of making this perfect storm. But first, I want to start off with the very disturbing exchange witnessed during the U.S. Senate confirmation hearing of Dr. Rachel Levine for Assistant Secretary and Rand Paul. And so you've probably seen it, and I'm sure you've heard about it, but the exchange went something like this. Rand Paul was simply trying to say, are you going to advocate for minors without parental consent to get sex reassignment surgery? And remember that Dr. Levine is a man. If you don't know that, that's the other piece of it. But he wouldn't answer the question and Uh, Rand Paul pointed out that this doctor actually had a history of supporting that type of thing. So it's really interesting and so frightening. The mainstream news outlets titled their pieces about this news story, transphobic questioning. That's what they accused Rand Paul of. He's against gender affirming care. If you watch it, that's a complete lie. What he was asking is, are you going to allow a seven-year-old to be castrated basically without parental consent or have a 10-year-old get breast implants? And he said these things with a perfectly gracious tone. Reddit actually said that Rand Paul goes unhinged. The man didn't even raise his voice. He said what he said in a logical, necessary way, and it was done respectfully. The Washington Post accused Rand Paul of ignorant questioning. Ignorant? He gave substantiated facts. And then it was interesting because you notice the absence of the subject being discussed in all those news outlets, the kids. They didn't ask any questions or refer to the kids at all. And that was the whole thrust of the argument. The harm it does them. That was never mentioned by these news outlets. All they care about is the feelings of Dr. Rachel Levine. So what's interesting about Dr. Levine, I just looked up some facts about this person, and they don't say in Wikipedia what his birth name is. I kind of found that interesting. Why not? Why do they leave his birth name out? Because they usually, or they used to do that. They used to mention the birth name. But in 1957, I said, I know that his name was not Rachel. So he was named Richard, born Richard, by his parents, that's what he was named. And you can find a family picture of him and his wife and their two kids on the 
internet when he's the man that God actually made him to be. He has his arm around his wife, who was a very pretty lady, her little girl on her hip, blonde hair sucking her thumb, and their son standing in front of his dad. And I guess it looks like some kind of day cruise or something. Everybody's all smiling. To me, there is a heartbreaking devastation of what this man has done. And so it's just so interesting how the news media paints the picture. How can you miss the shattering of a family and brush it off like it's nothing in favor of wanting to torture yourself into something you're not? Now, maybe they would have been divorced regardless. I I don't know. I don't know them. But it's just this cold disregard for the children involved not only with the surgery that they are talking about implementing, but also with all these children of divorce because of this transgender movement and, you know, mom deciding that she wants to be dad, etc. But I think this is interesting. The, the family photo in the office, this is the caption of Rachel Levine, Pennsylvania's physician general, and, it, and they use the language of her, shows her and her family when she was a married man named Richard. Talk about confusion. Talk about confusion. You know who's not confused? God. God is not a God of confusion. When you see all of this confusion and people can't even tell who they are, what they are, uh, who made them, whether or not they're a man or a woman, that is not of God. And if it's not of God, there's only one other place, one other person it could be from. That's the flip side. Very interesting. So, which is Satan, in case you haven't figured that one out, (laughs) demonic activity. So it's interesting, I think, that he picked the name Rachel. Was beautiful of form and appearance, it says in scripture. Hmm. But Rachel was barren. And in Genesis 30, 1 through 2, it says, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children... Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Remember that line? And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? Isn't that interesting? Am I in the place of God? I can't do that. I can't make you something or make you produce something that God has not decreed would be true of you. Just find that interesting. So she was railing against God's sovereignty in what God had chosen for her physically at that time. I just think that's interesting. Genesis 30, 22, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb, you'll recall. And then you remember the story. Rachel labored in childbirth and she had a hard labor. So Rachel died in childbirth. Just interesting. Part of why I'm talking about this declining birth rate is the percentage of people, especially in the last generation, who are claiming to be LGBT and presumably aren't going to be having children. So you have the likes of Dr. Rachel Levine and the damage that they're going to be doing at a very high level in, in government with our young people and passing legislation that is just going to be so, so damning and contributing to a lower birth rate. But some of these statistics are just unbelievable. 
16%, this is hard to believe, 16% of Generation Z, which is the generation upcoming right now, 9% of Millennials, 4% of Generation X, which is the generation I'm from, they are identifying as LGBTQ, what have you. That's like 25%. It's outrageously high, outrageously high. And one of the reasons God condemned homosexuality was that it had the potential to decimate the human race. Back in the Old Testament, that was one of the reasons it was it was so serious. It could decimate the human race. And so it's just interesting that none of these people are cele- that are celebrating this seem to be concerned about that. Researchers at the University of Washington's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation showed the global fertility rate nearly halved to 2.4 in 2017. And their study projects it will fall below 1.7 by 2100. And so these are articles all from just mainstream, so I say mainstream leftist news sources, CNBC, and these all have come in the last six months, but it seems that they're really not getting that much attention, kind of being buried, definitely overshadowed by quote unquote global warming or climate change or however you want to describe that. But apparently in 2019, the birth rate in the U.S. fell to its lowest level in 35 years, well below the requisite 2.1 babies per woman required to sustain our population through birth alone. And then they were saying here that researchers expect this trend to continue into 2020 and 2021. Here we are in 2021. But uh, they said what we learned from the Great Recession is that every one percentage point increase in the unemployment rate reduces births by 1%. So, of course, now we have that because of the whole COVID situation. So his research implies there will likely be a COVID baby bust. That's what they're calling it instead of a baby boom in the U.S. And that's fewer American born workers and consumers and slower economic growth. So. The global population, this is kind of interesting, is expected to peak around 9.7 billion by 2064 and then fall back down to 8.8 billion by 2100. And again, this is apparently around the world. BBC called it jaw-dropping. That was the title of their article. This is jaw-dropping. Falling fertility rates mean nearly every country could have shrinking populations by the end of the century. Uh, There are 23 nations, apparently, including Spain and Japan, are expected to see their populations have by 2100. And so there's going to be aging folks, but not babies being born to come up through the the ranks, if you will, and fill in that big gap of American workers or, you know, workers, I guess, across the globe, etc. In 1950, women were having an average of 4.7 children in their lifetime. And then again, it's dropping to, or the projection, it's going to be 1.7 by 2100. And apparently that's just not enough to replace our population. Which countries are most affected? Apparently Japan and Italy's population crash, apparently from 61 million to 28 million over the same time frame. Wow. Spain, Portugal, Thailand, and South Korea expected to see their population more than half. And China, which you know how populous China is, 
Well, they're having two, apparently to 732 million, I think, by 2100. And Singapore has the lowest birth rate worldwide. So, of course, you know, you have the the question of why is this a, a problem? Again, it's, I guess, that inverted age structure. More people, more old people than young people. And that will have negative consequences, that inverted age structure, and bring enormous societal change. These are good questions. Who's going to pay tax in a massively aged world or pay for health care for the elderly? Who looks after the elderly? Will people be able to retire from work? So when they do the, the population, it's interesting because the, the pyramid should be, you know, the base should be your younger people. And as you go up, the as you go up the pyramid, the older people are going to get less. But for the first time in American history, Apparently, that distribution is changing. From 1970 until 2011, the ratio of seniors age 65 and older to working people was 24 to 100. So not that we want to do anything to stop our lovely and wonderful older population from thriving. I mean, that's a terrific thing. That's a terrific thing. But some countries then are saying, okay, we have to boost the population and give incentives to having kids. So they're trying different things, but it's barely helping, apparently, just barely helping. And you have researchers warning that, you know, of course, we don't want to undo women's progress. This is this is something else, naturally, that comes into play in terms of why this is happening. I mean, of course, you don't want progress in what I would say. Sure, women's education and, of course, access to contraception, unless that's abortion. Don't want that. But, yeah, you want women to be educated, of course. But part of this is the breakdown of the family unit and women being in the workplace instead of at home raising kids. And, you know, it's just it's just funny because I know that these news outlets don't want to say it. They don't want to say the words. Wow, ladies, maybe give it up with the whole career ladder and stay home and have babies and raise children. That has become this taboo, which I, I which of course is just evil that people think that. So um, what about this is interesting. What about Africa? You know, people always say, well what about what about Africa? Aren't there a lot of uh, babies being born there? Isn't there a lot of population there? I looked this up just out of curiosity because what are the countries maybe that are having more children that are people are maybe depending on for the birth rate to continue and fill in the gaps? Well, in the top 10 countries from Open Doors Ministry, which of course is about the persecution of Christians, which countries is it most difficult to be a, a Christian that gets the most persecution? Lots of African countries, let me tell you. And Nigeria is number nine out of 100 countries being the worst for Christians. Guess what a ton of these articles claim will be the answer to the population decline. Immigration, of course. That's how we're going to fix it. Throw open your borders, having everybody come in. Well, what kind of influx to the USA from these countries would that mean for Christians? 
we're already facing that persecution internally. That's amping up. We know that, right? But it will also start to press on us externally. So it's not like the the Muslims in Nigeria and those African countries are going to leave their persecution in Nigeria. They're not going to leave their persecution by the Nun River when it when they come to America. I just think that's interesting. It's speculation, but but I find that interesting. If that's the their remedy is to just immigrate and have a bunch of people from other countries to fill in, like I said, fill in those gaps. Well, what are they bringing with them? I can tell you from these Islamic countries, that's what they're bringing with them. So how do they do the math for the threshold and how you need to continue to fill in for the population? I don't know. I guess they they do the math. They figure out these numbers. But you might think, and I'm just quoting, the number should be 2.0, right? Two parents have two children, so the population stays the same. But even with the best health care, not all children survive to adulthood. That's true. Also, babies are ever so slightly likely to be male. So it means the replacement figure is 2.1 in developed countries, that that's what it needs to be. So U.S. News and World Report, again, is is reporting the same. So they're saying that there is this dip in... uh, or they're calling it the dip is part of a global phenomenon leading some experts to fear, this is what they're calling it, a demographic time bomb, or when there aren't enough, like I was saying, young people to support the aging population. Okay, so there's those changes that are happening. Now, falling sperm count and changes to sexual development also threatening human survival and leading to a fertility crisis. And this is from a leading epidemiologist that has has warned about this. And I saw this actually about three or four days ago. My husband sent me this article. And this is a woman who's writing in a new book. She's an environmental and reproductive epidemiologist. And she's talking about it from a uh, chemical problem. She says the impending fertility crisis poses a global threat comparable to that of the climate crisis. Again, I think it's kind of worse. And I don't buy into the global warming nonsense anyway. But she says that the current state of reproductive affairs can't continue much longer without threatening human survival. And it comes from a study she did in 2017, found that sperm counts in the West had plummeted by 59% between 1973 and 2011. And so she says the median sperm count is set to reach zero in 2045. That's a little concerning, she says, to say the least. Yes, of course it is. But she's positing that most of these problems have to do with the chemicals that we're ingesting. I don't know. Some of it could be true. But I think that the LGBT issue and uh, the, the women's issue in this especially in this country, and I think elsewhere too. I think China, I don't know, I think I read some statistics, like 73% of the women there, or even higher, are in the workforce outside the home. So, and this is also interesting, she said that factors such as tobacco smoking, marijuana, and growing obesity play a role in the dropping of the testosterone and the sperm count. 
So you have all of that. And then Time Magazine. Again, another liberal situation here. Women are declining or women are deciding not to have babies because of the pandemic. Now, they're going to blame it on the pandemic and saying that's bad. They actually say that's bad for all of us. Oh, my goodness. They admitted it. It's bad for all of us. And that birth rates have been dropping for 34 years. Said that already. So fewer workers, lower GDP. And they also mentioned, which I think is very is very true, that fewer young people means fewer soldiers to recruit to the military. We're not going to have people to protect this country, is what they're saying. So we're going to talk about a little bit about the whole women in the workforce thing. I found this to be somewhat interesting. And this is just from Wikipedia. As children in the 1970s and 80s, that was a time of shifting societal values. So I'm a Gen Xer, and we were called the latchkey generation. And that's when mom started working outside of the home in droves. And so there was, they call, they call it reduced adult supervision compared to previous generations. And you know what resu- resulted in that? You know what that resulted in? Increasing divorce rates and increased, like I said, the, the mom out in the workforce. What did that do? Caused more divorces, latchkey kids, less supervision, and that began a big downward spiral. So they're talking about, of course, this birth rate is a barometer of despair, explaining that young people are not going to have babies. That's another added layer if they're not optimistic about the future. Well, then, of course, you have people like AOC telling young people that she's not going to have kids because she doesn't want to bring them into this world. And of course, she didn't she predict a while ago that we only had 12 years anyway to live before everything uh, went the way of all flesh because the earth is going to blow up. But she doesn't know the half of it. She she doesn't actually know the, the half of it. Poor dear really needs to. Well, <clears throat> Let me just say, she needs the Lord and needs to read the Bible. But she's encouraging young people not to have children. And they're they're saying, I think following her lead in that and saying, you know, some of them anyway. And so, you know what? The animals are going to be the only ones left. She's so worried about saving the planet for for the next generation when there's not going to be any next generation. Again, it's just totally inverted. So... And then, of course, there's having a baby or having a career. And uh, women's rights advocates say the alternative to a major drop in birth rate may be a mass exodus of women from the workforce as couples decide which parent should provide the full-time child care. Okay, the woman should provide the full-time child care. And one in four women is considering downshifting her career or leaving the workforce because of COVID. And I love this. It's the first time in six years that women in the workforce, that the researchers have been doing this, that they're saying that there's evidence of women intending to leave their jobs at higher rates than men. In two-partner households, we're seeing men's careers take the priority. Praise the Lord! The men's career should be taking the priority. That's, that's reasons of design. That's the natural course of events. 
And they say, of course, that that leaves the women to make tough choices. It leaves everybody to make tough choices. I'm not saying that. Men and women are making tough choices about career and family. But it doesn't have to be as complicated as people have have made it. But that is something that has to do with COVID, the exit of large numbers, I guess, from the women in in the workforce, to me, is good. You may totally disagree with that, but there you go. So apparently women had surpassed, this is the scary statistic, women had surpassed men to make up the majority of the U.S. workforce earlier than earlier this year before the pandemic hit. Okay, that is a harrowing and horrible statistic that women surpassed men in the workforce. They dropped from 50.04% to 49.70 in the wake of this year's job cuts. That's how many women are in the workforce or surpassing men. That You want to talk about something that's not good for everybody. That's not good for everybody. Quoting, we need to make it easy as possible for women to balance child rearing and their careers. It's not about individual women. It's about the fate of the country, so says this article. Yeah, get them back out there. Get them out of their homes, away from their families. Come on, ladies, get out there, drop everything, drop your kids, and get to work. Ugh, this is so communist China. I'd love actually for all the women to take a poll from their kids. And the reason I say, just let me backtrack, communist China is because I I think that there's coming a day when you're not even going to have a choice because they are going to force women, even if you don't want to go into some kind of work slave labor. You may think that that is totally histrionic and not going to happen in conspiracy theory. But time will tell. So anyway, I'd love for all the women to take a poll from their kids of how much they've liked having their moms home because of COVID. Poll the children. I bet that it's had a wonderful effect on the kids of this country having mom in the home and her attention and her care and her guidance from their mothers that they would otherwise not have had. I promise you that that is true. So uh, these kind of things people say sometimes makes my head spin. This is what they're saying. Gender inequality is a worldwide problem, says Martin of the National Women's Law Center. But what we don't see in other countries, but we what we do see in the U.S. is the way having a child is closely associated with a risk of real poverty. Okay, whatever. Don't even talk to me about quote unquote poverty in the US. Nobody is going hungry in this country. Nobody needs to. You can get a sandwich at the police station if you're out homeless and you need something. I'm so done with that ridiculous argument. That's a that's a great myth to put out there. Have a kid and you'll be poor. <laughs> that's what they're equating it to. Have a kid, not that they don't cost money, Duh, they do, but have a kid and you'll be poor. That's a good way to get the birth rate going back on track, everyone. So, but as part of it, as women participate in the labor market, then they think, well, I have to net that against having kids. They cost they cost too much. I've got this great education. I'm not going to be able to put it to use with my little children. So I need to work outside the home because again, you know, 
kids cost too much. And I just, these new terms that are coming down the pike drive me nuts. Work-life balance. I hate that term (laughs) because it's like sugarcoating things and making them so benign or easy or palatable. Face it, if you work outside of the home and you have kids, especially when they're young, you are stretched pillar to post. And one of the two lives that you are leading suffers. You can't get around it. And there are dire consequences for that. You know, you have to pad your retirement account a little bit more, go on one more vacation. I'm just saying, seriously, consider the cost. And now all of humankind (laughs) is having to consider the cost of the inversion of the male-female roles and the breakdown of the nuclear family. So, of course, another contributing factor to this is the abortion industry, the murdering of babies category. So I broke this down. I looked up this chart country by country, and I looked up different murdering, because abortion is murdering babies, so murdering babies category. 5% of the world prohibits it altogether. 22% to save a woman's life, 14% to preserve the health, and so 23% will do it for some kind of broad social or economic grounds. And then 36% would be on demand, we would say, or on request. And in that statistic is the 50 nifty United States. So added up, 73% of the planet, pretty comfortable terminating babies. 27% of the world is restrictive, but 73% will kill them. So... Again, statistically, approximately 860,000 abortions were performed in 2017. That's just in the United States. In Argentina, abortion was legalized up to 14 weeks of pregnancy on the 30th of December, 2020. Oh, that's a delightful milestone. And I find it interesting that from 1820 to 1900, primarily through the efforts of physicians in the American Medical Association and legislators, most abortions in the U.S. were outlawed in that time period. And now look at us. It's on demand. So I do have one slice of good news to report, though, in these statistics I've seen. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, says the number of abortions in in the United States has reached its lowest level since Roe v. Wade. And what was that, 73? Happy about that. That's terrific that it's actually gone to its lowest number. Oh, that's a blessing. So I just want to talk briefly about this sort of parallel that I am finding interesting. So we talked about birth rates, LGBT issue that's that's impacting that. Women in the workforce impacting that. Statistics throughout the world, maybe some despair, etc. COVID uh, type of thing impacting that. I want to talk about it biblically with some things I think are kind of interesting in a parallel way, like I said. Biblical references to birth are used as an analogy for, for things throughout the Bible. In Romans 8, 22, it says, 
For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. It's it's used many times for parallels or analogies, let me say like that. In Galatians 4.19, Paul says, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. And so, like I said, birth... Birth and death, you can find analogies and parallels all throughout the Bible. But in this timeline sort of way, this is kind of an interesting parallel in regard to infanticide and deliverance. If you remember in the Old Testament, remember Pharaoh attempting to get rid of the male Israelites because they were mightier than them. And he was concerned that they would rise up and overtake the Egyptians. So he... It says in Exodus 117, but the midwives feared God and they and did not go to do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. Remember, he said, go out. And when the Hebrew women are having children, I want you to kill the male child. So that that the midwives were actually wonderful because they refused to do that. In Exodus 119, it says, And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. So the so God protected them, of course, and they were able to increase. Then Pharaoh told his people, since the midwives killing the Israelites didn't work, to every son who was born to you shall be cast into the river. So Pharaoh was still trying to get rid of the male children. But if it's a girl, he said, save her. So here comes Moses. Along comes Moses. And he lives. Why? Because his mom hides him downriver, if you will. He's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter and rescued. So, and you know, Moses rescues the Jewish people. He leads them out of Egypt. But this precursor to Moses, the deliverer being born, was this infanticide, in the midst of this infanticide by Pharaoh. And then, of course, God's going to bring judgment on the Egyptians in the same manner. So there was infanticide before the deliverer. Then God strikes the firstborn of all the Egyptians as part of the 10th plague. So it's the last plague, and then he delivers the Egyptians. It says that in Exodus 12, 29, and it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. God did that as a judgment against the against Pharaoh and against uh, because he wouldn't let God's people go. So then, interestingly, in Exodus 13, 2, God says, consecrate to me all the firstborn Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. Everything is God's, including every child and every firstborn. It is all, everyone belongs to him. And then in the New Testament, upon Christ's advent in Matthew 2.16, remember, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all its districts from two years old and under, according to which time he had determined from the wise men. So in effort to kill the Messiah, on the advent of Messiah, there's of the deliverer, <clears throat> there's infanticide. Infanticide before Moses. Infanticide 
when Christ comes as deliverer. There was demonic activity was fierce before Christ came the first time. I say this all the time, and it's ramping up because he's returning. Infanticide is ramping up in a major way before the deliverer, the Messiah, Jesus, comes back. And I want to take it back to the reason I say that. Yes, the abortion rate, praise God, is is dropping, but it's still just, you know, even one is too many. But I'm bringing it back to our our children in the transgender movement with people like Dr. Levine. Murder, mayhem, violence, war, all throughout biblical history. Yes, pagan nations passing children through the fire, though. Let's take a look at that. Back to that. Sacrificing the children on the altar. That's why I'm coming back around to Dr. Levine and all of his cohorts and people who believe that way. This is child sacrifice. I listened to a talk about this from a doctor. Most people who got into this kind of surgery early on when it was happening wanted to use these kids as experiments for their own curiosity and to make a name for themselves. They are using your children. They're using your kids. I mean, anybody who allows their child to to do this, I don't even have words. I have words, but I can't say the words. It's madness and it's satanic. But this is this is what these doctors are. They're doing it for themselves, for their own curiosity, their own sick curiosity, and their own the, their elevation of themselves. And I'm telling you what, it is Joseph Mengele from Nazi Germany, except you have anesthesia. That, my friends, is the only difference. You are passing your kids through the sacrificial fire. And here's what's really interesting about this. God's word in Leviticus talks about this issue. Leviticus 20, 1 through 5. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones, I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. Not only are you forbidden to do that, but you better stand up and say something when you see it happening. You don't just look at it and turn away. You celebrate this, you applaud people who do this, you turn a blind eye. Molech, the Ammonite god of the people surrounding Israel, that's of course who who he was, required human sacrifice. We know that, especially child sacrifice. But get this, in this Leviticus chapter, in context, it was surrounding sexual deviation. So there is likely an unmentioned sexual perversion connected with this pagan ritual. That's what we're looking at today. It's honestly a pagan ritual sacrificing your kids in some kind of sexual deviation. 
welcome to Leviticus. So it's just a repeat of that. It's just dressed up for the last days with parades and laws and anesthesia, but sacrificially passing them through the fire in a sexually deviant pagan ritual. So there you have it. The birth rate declining, the LGBT movement is associated with that. Abortion is associated with that. Women outside of the home is associated with that. Sperm count, testosterone levels, and folks opting out of having kids because it just seems either, I don't know, uh, too depressing. They're afraid that they're going to take up too much space on the planet, which is a godless worldview anyway, and then sacrificing them through the transgender movement. And this is judgment, guys. This is the wrath of abandonment in Romans 1. Turning people over to follow the lust of their heart, that's what you get. And this is one of the consequences. Romans 1, 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And then in 32, it says, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So that speaks not, check this out. That speaks not of ignorance. They know the righteous decree. That's blatant rebellion, blatant rebellion. You know what my theory is in this? And it's just speculation, total speculation, but perhaps God is using it to close out history. He does not condone any of it but using it to close out history. Less people, because history is winding down. We are ever closer to the rapture and the Lord's return. God described the end of history like birth pangs. I just don't think there's any coincidence with that. Like a woman in labor, contractions are getting closer together and more intense. So thanks so much for listening, and I will see you, talk to you, You'll hear from me next time.